Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, and it's a very, very, very familiar verse of Scripture, Uh, but I really felt this is where the Lord wanted us this morning. He's speaking uh, about some things in each of our lives that, that only this particular passage of Scripture can really, really capture. So again, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. So here we have Israel's nemesis, uh, their arch enemy. This would be Beyonce's Becky, if you will. (laughs) Assembled in battle array. Tension was in the air and it was about to go down. And in verse 3, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley, nothing but space between them. And everyone was waiting for who would make the first move. It was kind of a military stalemate because you could lose as many people trying to go up the ridge as you might uh, defeat on the other side of the ridge. So it it was a very, very serious and critical moment. And the Bible says in verse 4, a champion. Now at this time in history, they practiced something called ordeal by uh, uh, trial battle or battle ordeal. Trial by battle ordeal better. And what would happen is typically when armies were equally matched, and and the issue was, you know, when when armies are pretty equally matched, a whole lot of people are going to die. So uh, they kind of came up with a way to kind of eliminate some of the the casualties. So what what they would do is both armies would send their best uh, soldiers and and their strongest soldiers to represent their army uh, into a battle to the death. And whoever won that battle was uh, accepted as the judgment of the gods. And the people on the loser side would surrender. I'm so grateful that God's loser friendly. I wanted to know if y'all caught that. User, loser, okay. Okay. And a champion, this is a proxy warrior, and we've talked about this maybe, uh, maybe it was a few years ago when we were in this, this verse of Scripture. Jesus was our proxy. Jesus was the one who, who, who stood for us on the cross, bore our sin and our punishment. Ultimately, what happened with David and Goliath was Jesus defeating the devil. So we know that in the New Testament, and we have talked about that in the past. But, but here we have Goliath coming up again uh, as, as the proxy war representing the, the, the fiercest the, 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 the Philistines could, could, could offer. And he went out of the camp. Uh, of the Philistines, and his name was Goliath. He was an actual historical guy 
whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, we all know the story. This guy was bigger than, than, than everybody else. He had better armor than anyone else. He had a longer and sharper and heavier spear than anyone else. From a human standpoint, Goliath was a human tank. Uh, Goliath was no one to mess with or play with. And uh, he brought tremendous fear to the people of God as he would come down day after day and taunt and, 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 and just mock the people of God. Verse 8. Then this giant stood and cried out to the enemies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? In other words, he's saying, if you're feeling froggy, why don't you leap? You know, y'all coming out every day and nobody's coming out here to, 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 to meet me. And there's nothing but space and opportunity between us. Don't you guys have a man? So this is a mocking tone. It's embarrassing to the people of God. And then he goes on, he says, am I not a Philistine? He's trying to prod them and poke them. And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, don't you guys have at least one man brave enough, bold enough to come deal with this issue? Now, in the book of Revelation, remember, uh, John wept because there was no man to open the seals. But then the, the, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, you know, he stood up and, and, and then all of the relief came. And thank God that, you know, Adam, as he, listen, Adam lived in a perfect environment. I mean, they, they were, I mean he, was, he went to the best schools. I mean, they, they, there was no crime. He still failed. Still failed. But Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, finally came, and he was able to do what Adam couldn't do. He opened the seals. So, so here, he's like, don't you have one man? And this points again to Jesus, the one man that would, would come to redeem uh, uh, all, of, all of us. And uh, so, so, so here we have, it's a complete deadlock and uh, nobody moved. And then Goliath, he gets emboldened as, you know, the, the Israelites shiver and cower uh, at his voice. And, and he begins to, to go a little bit too far. So he, he starts talking about God and, and he starts bringing God into the conflict. He says, I defy the armies of Israel d d this day. Give me what a, 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 a man. Now, I was a little ahead of myself, and we'll see this in a couple of verses, how he began to, to talk about uh, their, their God. But in 1 Samuel 9 and, and verse two, we find that Saul, the king of Israel at this time, was actually head and shoulders taller than every other Israelite. So Saul, or King Saul, was the obvious match for Goliath. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside that makes all the difference. You know, it's great to look the part and, and appreciate that, but when push comes to shove, you better be able to act the part. And, and he may have had a crown in his head, but he didn't have a roar in his heart. And, and Saul was as afraid as everyone else, and we're about to see that. And Goliath said, give me a man that we may fight together. Again, do you have at least one person in your army that will trust your God? This was embarrassing. And then when King Saul and all the Israelites heard the words of the Philistines or Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly what? Afraid. Israel lost her confidence. Now, for those of us who don't know the story, 
Saul started off as a great king, but soon he became more concerned about the opinions of people than the directions of his God. And if salt loses its saltiness, what's the point of having it stay on the table? So God began to raise up a new king, King David, to take Saul's place. And if you keep punking out of situations, if you keep backing out of situations that God has called you to, eventually he will raise up someone else. Now, he will love you to your death. And, and he will he'll, he'll weep with you when you weep. But a job needed to get done. And God was like, well, if you won't listen to me, I will find someone else. And, you know, and I'm grateful for the things that God has done in this ministry over the years. But I understand something. If I don't listen to him, God can find someone else that will. So when Saul and all the Israelites heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly what? Afraid. Israel lost her confidence. And the only thing worse than losing your confidence is losing your faith. But God always has a remnant. There was a young boy that God had been working on. And nobody knew except the brothers of this young boy. Nobody knew about this young boy, but God had, had begun a work. Let's skip to, to verse 25, 2 Samuel 17. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? Now he's saying this in front of David, by the way, that God had been working on. A man that you know, spent time uh, with his sheep, worshiping his God. He began to prophesy. He hear the, the voice of God, the word of God. It began to shift his mentality, shift the way he, he, he thought. And, and he hears and he sees and actually hears what's going on. And uh, so the men of Israel said in, in David's hearing, have you seen this man who has come up? Now, everyone was focused on how bad Goliath was. They forgot how good God had been, how faithful God had been. And it's so easy in life to focus on the problem in front of you, how big it is, and forget about all the things that God had already brought you through, how God had kept you, how God has preserved you, how God had maintained you, how soon we forget. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. How many of y'all would like some tax exemption? Yes. So David was promised by Saul uh, money, a princess bride, and no taxes. This is important because sometimes we get too spiritual when it comes to these points. If caring about rewards was wrong, God would not constantly offer them. Jesus said, don't worry about treasure on earth that corrupts. Do you hear? But, 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 but be concerned about treasure in heaven. Hebrews 10 says it this way. Do not cast away your confidence, for it shall be rewarded. 
Now, what we do, I don't know why we do it. We try to act like we're better than the Bible. We try to act like we're better than God's instructions. We act like we're better than God who knows how he, he created us and he wired us a certain way. And he wired us to, to live and lean toward rewards and benefits. I know it can be selfish and people can do awful things, but the Bible says, do not cast away your confidence, which has what? Great what? Reward. I do not just live to try to survive another day. I live my life with my reward in front of me. And the moment you stop living for your reward is probably the moment you're going to stop living for God. You are not God. God did not need any reward. He, he didn't need any motivation to be himself. He's always absolutely who he is. He needed nothing around him but him to be God. But the Bible says that God created us a little lower than the angels. Meaning, last I checked, we are not God. We are not in that same class. And with that said, God wired us to live lives based on hope and expectation. I lose you. The moment you begin to lose your hope and your reward is probably the moment you begin to backslide. You see, you can lose confidence in your God and his reward if you want to. But I know what side of the bread my bread is buttered on. And, and here's the thing. The greatest reward God can give me is himself. The greatest reward he can give me is his presence. And I, I know that y'all are deep. I know it. But I still operate just a little bit afraid of God. I know that you're more advanced, more sophisticated. And those verses in the Bible you have taken out. But my Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I am afraid to ever lose the presence of God in my life. And I live with my reward on my mind. I recognize, and I know that this might, might, might sound a little weird to you, but I cannot make it on my own. Yeah, yeah, I might survive, I might live, but I cannot do anything of any significant value without God living and moving in my life. And I understand that. And not only I as a human understand that, Jesus understood that. Let's take a look at that. Hebrews 11, um, verse 12 and, and, and 22, chapter 12 and 22. It says, looking unto, y'all are quiet this morning, but, but we, we, we're going to get there. Looking unto Jesus, or, or better put, learn this from Jesus. How many of y'all want to learn something from Jesus? Who was the author? Now, now what does an author do? He, 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 an author creates something or writes something that hadn't been written before. If it had been written before, it's plagiarism. Jesus doesn't plagiarize. That's why your plan doesn't look like the next person's plan. Your purpose is not exactly the same as another person's purpose. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and what finishes. So what he starts, he what finishes of our what faith. Watch this. Who for the joy or reward, the reward that was set before him is why he went through what he went through. And if you don't think, this is what the Bible says, they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. You got to believe two things, not just that God is, but that he rewards. And if you do not believe he's a rewarder, you're probably going to stop obeying and listening to him. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, stay with me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, because he saw the reward on the other side, he endured the cross, watch this, despising the shame. Now, most people can take a little bit of pain for God, a little bit of discomfort for God, but very few of us can take embarrassment. I just said something. We could take a lot of things, but as creatures of pride, embarrassment's typically not one of them. But when Jesus compared the temporary shame against the cross's eternal value for you and me, the Bible says he despised it or literally laughed at it. So as brutal as the cross was, Jesus was snickering on the inside. As painful as the cross was on the inside, he saw the benefit of what he was doing, so he endured. The reason we quit is we forget the benefits, we forget the reward. Do you understand what I'm saying? The moment you think, you know, it doesn't matter, God's not watching, and, and you know what, uh, uh, the wicked prosper, and we're just left to our own devices, you are on your way down. Jesus despised the shame. He said, as painful and awful as this is, everyone in this room was worth it to him. And as brutal, again, as the cross was, having you, just, just one of us, just one, was enough to make Jesus even do it again. First Samuel 17, 28. Now Eliab, David's brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and, and this, is, this is his brother now. He was one of the soldiers. His daddy had to send a couple boys to fight. And Eliab is, is there with the other man who's cowering as uh, Goliath comes every, every morning to make his pronouncements. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. You see, when you really, really begin to put your faith in God, really begin to trust God, your brothers and sisters are not always going to understand it. But David wouldn't let a little criticism stop him. And then Eliab, his oldest brother, really dug in here. He said, why did you come down here? So the, the first thing he attacks is David's self-esteem. Who do you think you are? And then he continues, and with whom have you 
left those few sheep in the wilderness. So he attacks his, his, his accomplishment. He, he attacks his, his sense of self. And it's like, you know, you, you, ha- you have no right being down here. You, you're just a little guy. You, you're of no significance. And, and he's trying to diminish David in, in David's own mind. And then he goes on, and, and next he's about to attack his motives. I know your pride. And sometimes when you're trying to do the right thing, everyone doesn't quite understand. And the insolence of your heart, you know, when, when Samuel came and anointed you, it went to your head. And, and, and it's just arrogance and, and reckless pride. For, for you came down here simply to see the, the, the battle. So, so he's basically saying, David, you're talking all this trash to try to excite something, to, to get somebody to do something, to stir something up so you can watch it as your entertainment. And David, your motives are wrong. You are wrong. You have no right down. And really, his brother was embarrassed because he he himself wouldn't fight. But some of the most poisonous people come disguised as your family and your friends. I felt like y'all just woke up. Maybe you, (laughs) this has been a sleepy moment, but I, I felt that, a sleepy morning. And David, when he heard his brother, he packed up his stuff and ran away. Oh, this ain't fair. How come people don't understand me? Uh, people being mean to me. None of that. David looked at his brother in the eye. He said, what have I done now? Da- you got to learn the answer for yourself. You will be criticized for doing the right thing. But David found his voice. And here's the thing, though. If you don't feel you're worth speaking up for, why should somebody else? I know you waited for someone else to speak up, but, but if you don't feel, why should they? David was willing to speak up for himself. And this is part of the evidence of spending time with God. I mean, when you're really worshiping God with your sheep, you don't have to always do it in public and thank God for what we do in public, but he was with his sheep by himself. And you can see the results of his time with God through this attitude that begins to emerge. We find in the book of Acts, the disciples had been beaten, were about to be beaten. And what did the Sanhedrin say? They, they said, well, you know what? We know that these men have been with Jesus because they're unlearned, unschooled men because of their boldness. And when you've really been with God, there will be a boldness that comes out of the center of you. I'm not talking about putting something on. I'm not talking about putting on a show. But if God be for me, who can be against me? If the God of the universe has put his hand on me, you better take your hand off me. This was Daniel's, I'm sorry, David's attitude. And when you've really been around God, you will get an attitude. We're talking about renewing the mind. And what I hope you're already seeing is David had an attitude. And the problem in the church today, a lot of stuff's going on, but nobody got an attitude. We're trembling like the Israelites, 
as Goliath taunts us day in, day out, morning and evening, saying, where is your God? Is there a man amongst you? As we quiver. Watch little David, though. Watch little David. David says, is there not a cause? The only thing greater than vision is a cause. Pay attention to what I just said. People may fight over vision, but people will willingly lay down their lives for a cause. Jesus taught us to pray. The first sentence is not, Lord, give me this and give me that. It's our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Meaning the name of God, the glory of God, the, 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 his name becoming famous is our cause. When we pray, our cause is not just to get this and that. It's that his name might be hallowed. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.